Okay. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Colossians chapter 4. And I'm going to talk about Paul's friend to ministry. And he has a friend by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras. Okay? Notice what he states there. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring favor, uh, fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras here, he stands out as an important figure in the book of Colossians here. He was the main link between Paul and the church at Colossae. As a matter of fact, he was the first, the original one who actually preached the gospel of grace to the Colossians even before Paul did. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says this here. 1, verse 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Evidently, he could have been even the pastor of the church at Colossae there. And then he also corresponded with Paul about how the people at Colossae loved him and how they loved the truth. In verse 8 and 9, he says this here, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what Epaphras would do, he'd go talk to Paul and he'd go back. Even when Paul was in prison, Epaphras went and gave him updates, and then he would leave and go back to the church there. Now, Epaphras, uh, it's actually a shorter name. His name would be Epaphroditus, the long name, meaning belonging to the Aphrodite. Now, we know who that is. She was a heathen goddess, so... Epaphras probably was raised up in a home that was devoted to her religion. But Epaphras, no doubt, was a trophy of God's grace. God in mercy and grace, he reached down and took him out of those circumstances and made something special of him, just like many of you. Your life wasn't going anywhere. And then one day... The Spirit of God came in through the gospel of grace and touched your heart, and you've become a trophy of God's grace. And we're grateful for that. Now, chapter 4, verse 12 again, there, he just says the first thing is, who is one of you? Epaphras was one out from his own. He was a native Colossian. Uh, this would be Paul telling them, that, listen, uh, his, confer his concern for you, it's real and it's genuine. And the reason is because he's one of you and he's concerned about you. In verse 13, it states this here, For I bear him, Epaphras, record that he hath a great zeal for you, and so on, and some others. So he was from Colossae there. And then some things about him that I think that are important about Epaphras. Epaphras was a saved man. He was part of the body of Christ, but also the body local church there at Colossae. Like I said, he had given his heart 
to the finished work of Christ. Pure grace, saved by faith alone, in who Christ is, what he did on the cross, being buried and rising again. That's the only gospel that can save us today. You have to put your faith into that gospel. Evidently, Epaphras, he had gone to Ephesus, where Paul had been preaching and teaching for two years. He had been there. And so evidently, Epaphras here, he heard Paul, he believed in the message, and he was saved. And when he got saved, he took that message back home to Colossae. So Paul, before he ever knows about that, here's a man all by himself telling others about Christ, winning them, starting a church, God greatly using him. And there's some reasons for that. He was a saved man, but also notice in verse 12. Verse 12, it states, a servant of Christ. Epaphras was a surrendered man. To him, it was Christ, all or nothing. Epaphras had made the decision that Jesus Christ was going to be his first love. It means he was owned and possessed by Christ. <clears throat> Our English word for servant is the word slave. And somebody would say, well, why should he want to be a slave of Christ? And that's what they ask of us. Why would we want to be a slave of Christ? Well, there's a reason. We love him because he first loved us, right? 1 Corinthians 16, 16 9 and so on, I can't say it. 6, verse 19, 20. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. He purchased us out of the slave market of sin to set us free. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If it weren't for God, we'd still be lost on our way to hell. But he purchased us. That ought to be enough motivation to say to God, here's my life. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, now get this, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's why we do it. In love, in mercy, in grace, all these things coming in to invade our life the moment we got saved. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, and so are you. And because of that grace... How can I not say, God, here's my life. Here is my all. Take everything I have. It's yours. That's what God wants from us. So he was a surrendered man, saved man, surrendered man. But also, Epaphras was a gracious man. Verse 12 again, he says, saluteth you. He was kind, gracious. He embraced others. He was proud to be a part of them. 
He welcomed them in the faith. It saluteth, it has the idea to enfold with the arms. In other words, he was saying, if you were here, I'd put my arms around you and give you a big hug. That's what he's saying. And by the way, isn't that true of us today? You haven't seen somebody for a while and you see them, you give them a big hug. Amen. Uh, the Badiah was here. Uh, we went out and ate here a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, they'd been in South Africa for a long time. And when we saw them, I saw Dean, he goes like this, <laughs> you know, and I go like that too and we give each other a big hug. You just do that. We're, we're in a sense embracing each other, saluting one another. Notice also in verse 12, again, it goes on the states, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Epaphras was a praying man. He said there always. In other words, he was sincere about it. He prayed for them at many times, every time possible. And since it says prayers, it has the idea that he even prayed with Paul about those at Colossae. Colossae. He's saying, listen, I prayed for you and prayed for you. It's real to me. You're real to me. And he said, I always fervently, when I prayed, I strived, I struggled, I contended, I agonized. He contended with God on behalf of those at Colossae. What did he pray for? Verse 12 again. The last part of the verse, thank you. Prayers that you may be perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras, he prayed that the Colossian church, the believers, they might be anchored in the truth. That they would develop maturity in Paul's message. And that they would be fully committed and settled to the will of God. Epaphras was a praying man. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The truth is, prayer is work. You know, that's why some grace believers don't believe in the sinner's prayer. The reason is, they believe it's a work. And prayer is work, by the way. (laughs) It's not easy. For most, prayer is an afterthought. But God's work is done while we pray. Prayer doesn't fit us for the work, but prayer is the work. Hello? When we pray, God works. So why don't we pray more so God would work more? Huh? Jonathan Chapman said this, there is no other way that the believer can do so much in a private way as to promote the work of God as by prayer. Romans 15, 30, Paul said this, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers. That word strive is the same word for fervent. He said, when you pray, you need to be fervent in your prayers. You know, I know when Christ prayed in the garden, he prayed as drops of blood. In other words, when he prayed, it was intense. 
There was something going on there. Now think about it. What burdens prayer has lifted? Churches, prayers has built. Sermons, prayer has preached. Darkness, prayer has darkened, enlightened. Weariness, prayers has strengthened. Battles, prayer has fought. Decisions, prayer has revealed. Mountains, prayer has moved. Hearts, prayer has encouraged. God wants us to pray. James 5, 16, the last part, he says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now get this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Hebrews 5, 7 says this here. Who in the days of his flesh, Christ, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, When he prayed, he was intense when he prayed. He was serious about it. This is God's work. And if it's God's work, we ought to be at it. That was my introduction. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sometimes you hit your watches. <laughs> These little things. Number one. Prayer will allow us to unload our cares. Prayer allows us to unload our cares. You know, at time, our hearts gathers a lot of garbage, a lot of baggage, stresses, weights, problems. And at times, it's overwhelming to us. I think of Hannah. She's married to a wonderful man, but she can't have a children. He has a second wife, and she has children. So Hannah's in competition with a second wife. She's barren, no kids. She's mocked for not having kids. The women even said, you're cursed because you're barren. You can't have children. I mean, Hannah, she's weighted down. And what did she do? She got along with God in the temple. She prayed. She cried out to God. She wailed. The stupid priest thought she was drunk. <laughs> but she was laboring fervently in prayer. And she unloaded it all on God. And as a result of that, God opened her womb. And she birthed a son by the name of Samuel, the great Samuel. God answered her prayers. God does answer prayers, people. Secondly, prayer allows us to admit that oftentimes circumstances are beyond human ability. There are sometimes we have to come to the conclusion we can't fix it. Amen? And in prayer, the knee bows to who God is. He's sovereign and he's in charge. Amen? James 4, 6 says this here. 
but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Verse 10, humble yourselves therefore in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And he is sovereign, chapter 4, verse 14. Whereas ye know not <clears throat> what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that peereth for a little time and then vanish away. <clears throat> for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Amen? God's in charge. There's a lot of people who have passed the last two years, thought they'd be living. Amen? We humble ourselves before God, and our focus, our hope is in Him and Him alone. Because we understand, if God does not act, it won't happen. <laughs> it's just that simple. Number three. Prayer allows us to get God's direction. And if there's ever a time we need a direction, it's today. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In Jonah, Jonah's day, God wanted him to do something. Jonah didn't pray. And Jonah teaches us that decisions without God, without prayer, lead to disaster, to more problems, more hurt, and more failure. Jonah didn't go fishing that day. The fish went fishing. Amen? <laughs> we have to stop making decisions without God. You say, well, I, I go to people and I, I, I get counseling from people. Now, that's not all bad. I understand that. If they're mature in the Word and love God, serve God, I understand that. But always remember this. They and you, you can only see to the corner, but God sees around the corner. Amen? And so you need to get God involved in your life. Most of us cannot afford another bad decision with our kids, our marriage, our job, our life, some sin, our church. And by the way, when you're done praying, you've had your say. Now it's time to allow God to have his say. Amen. And what God does when you pray, God impresses upon your mind and your heart and he leads you to the word that reveals the will of God for your life. And that helps to direct us. 2 Peter 1.3, very good verse, very simple verse. 2 Peter 1.3, I didn't give it to you, did I? I didn't think I did. Thank you. According as his divine power, now get this, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that hath called you and so on. 
He's given us everything that pertains to our life. It's there, but we have to find out what that is. It's through the knowledge of Him. Where do you find the knowledge of Him? In the Word of God. That's where you find it. Number four, prayer allows us to be strengthened in our intimacy with God. If you don't have that that intimacy, if that is absent in your life, what most people try to do then, they try to substitute a relationship God with something else to make them appear they have a relationship with God. Some people, they get close to people that are close to God to be a substitute for not being close to God themselves. Hello? Let me just say this to you. Make intimacy with God yours. Your intimacy with God. In the old days, telephone, you'd have to call an operator. The operator would hook you up and so on with the phone number and so on. And I say that just to say this. The cross has removed the need of the operator. Now we can call direct, all by ourselves. We can make a person-to-person call to God. We can just say, hello, God. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) He listens to us. That's amazing, isn't it? Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen? And the last thing is this here. Prayer allows us to be changed by God. Prayer allows us to be changed by God. It's a fact. A person who's connecting with God becomes different. Amen? I mean, that's just the truth. That happened to Moses, Isaiah, John, Saul became Paul. At times, you and myself, we became intimately closer with him in a sense. And when I'm intimately in my relationship with him, I notice some things that's different in me. My thinking is different. My desire is different. My behavior is different. My priorities are different. The religious leaders, when they saw the disciples of Christ, they said they knew they, the disciples, have been with Jesus. There was something different about them, and it's because they were with Jesus. And there can be something different about us if we spend time alone with God. That's what he's been convicting me about in my own life. The old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Something happens at that moment, doesn't it? The Bible says this, I am the Lord God, I change not. So when we pray, we're not trying to change God. That's impossible. But God changes us. He changes us, our attitude to gratitude. 
our perspective from looking at the temporal to looking at the eternal. From human opinions to God's truth. From doubt and fear to faith in Him. From bad decisions to good decisions that will glorify Him. From despair to hope. All of that is gain when you're in prayer with God and he's relating to you in his word. Prayer. <clears throat> you remember Saul of Tarsus, who became the great apostle Paul. On his road to Damascus, God knocked him down and he was wonderfully converted by grace. He hated Christ, and he was the enemy of the disciples. He had been imprisoning, imprisoning them, had some of them killed. They were afraid of him. And God tells this one Jewish boy, Ananias, said, listen, uh, I want you to go to Paul. And Ananias, he's, he's a nervous wreck. <laughs> he's afraid. He said, do you know what he's been doing? And the Lord says this to him, Behold, he prayeth. That's all he said. Behold, he prayeth. That changed the thinking of Ananias, but changed the life of the Apostle Paul. We pray because we need God. We need God involved in our lives and in our church. We can have all the programs, we can shine, we can smile and greet the visitors, we can do this and have this, we can do all those things, but if the breath of God is not upon it, that is zilch. I'd rather have the breath of God on a corporated church, not only within us, but corporately as a church, than all these things. Because I know if you have God involved, things happen that last for eternity. My heart is what a man said a long time ago. He said this, Men have seen what men can do when men do what men can do. I want to see what God can do when God does only what God can do. Amen. I don't know about you. I want to see God move. It says in John, without me, you can do nothing. So here's Paul. He had a friend. His name was Epaphras. And Epaphras was a man who truly prayed. And I say to you this morning, in my own life and for our church's life, we have to go back to the basics. We have to go back on our knees and asking God to bless Grace Point, asking God to bless our life and yield to how God leads us in his word. Amen. Am I just preaching to the walls or is there anybody out there that feels the same way? I hope there's a number of you. If there's ever been a time we've needed God more than ever to be activated, it's today. 
In a sense, I feel like this is almost our last chance. With everything that's going on, I don't know how much time we have. And I know the world is growing darker and darker. That means we can be a light, but we have to have God involved. So I'm asking you this morning, please pray for me as pastor that I get filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, that you pray for your leaders, uh, you pray for your church. God, we need you and you alone. That's the most important thing. And if you do, I really believe, be a Epaphras. Don't just say something simple. I mean, do it fervently. Strive, struggle, battle. So Grace Point can have the presence of God in it. And if you do, I really believe we'll have eternal rewards one day. I believe that. And by the way, if you're here this morning, never been saved, let me just say, don't walk out these doors not knowing Christ. He loved you so much, he died on an old rugged cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose for your justification. That just means that when he arose, the reason he arose is the Father accepted his sacrifice as a one-time sacrifice needed to wash away all mankind's sins if only they believe. Believe in him today in your heart. Not just, okay, I, I believe what's said, but you come to a decision, it's for me. He died for my sin. He rose again for my life. That was for me. And God will save you. Father, we love you. Thank you for the blessing of being one of your children. May we be an Epaphras. What a testimony. What a life. What a servant. And there's some reasons he was that way. We just went over some of those. God raised up some Epaphrases around this place, including me. And God, may we do your will in a way that would make you proud, honor you, but help us to see people saved, help us to see people to come to the knowledge of the truth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpindy.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.